The Australian Football Video Film Festival podcast is proudly brought to you by LeagueTees.com.au, the retro footy fan gear that makes every week retro round. The League Tees footy shop is packed with footy tees, retro footy jumpers, hoodies, and all things retro footy. That's LeagueTees.com.au. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? Folks, let me warn you. It's bruising, bloody and very much in your face. And we've pulled out stuff that would make a 16 stone wharfie cry. But a hundred minutes of top footy action. Welcome to the 90s, the decade that delivered. It was a 10-year period in football unlike any other this century. The electrifying 80s, the highs and lows of a dynamic decade of football. Over the next two hours, relive some of the most exciting moments in VFL football in the sensational seven. The Peter Hudson story, Dublin's Jim, the story of Jimmy Steins, the road to victory, Collingwood's struggle to the premiership and the year of the rising saints, St Kilda's fight to the 1991 finals. Australian Football Video Film Festival is back in session. Hello, my name is Dylan Leach and welcome to the program. A Tiger Tale. Richmond in 1995. Unprecedented support. Stunning on-field performances. A step closer to the ultimate goal. The promising finish to 1994 by Richmond told us more about this once proud club's future than anyone could have imagined for the Tigers took all before them in 1995. Had it not been for injuries early in the season to Matthew Richardson and Tony Free, the Tigers may have even gone all the way. Who's to deny it? After a start to the season which saw John Northey's young and enthusiastic team run out to an 11-1 record after 12 rounds of the season. It rode on the back of a midfield which saw Wayne Campbell continue his rise as a league star, Matty Knights offer brilliant support, and Chris Bond, Duncan Calloway, and one or two others shine as Richmond ran head-on at sides rated much higher. Along the way to a stunning third placing, Richmond produced some of the most stirring football of the season. It's thrillers against Essendon in the home and away season, and the final series were obvious highlights. Thrillers against Carlton and North Melbourne showed that how close this side was to the very best the competition had to offer. What lies ahead is uncertain after a dramatic off-season, but the commitment, endeavour and ability the Tigers displayed in 1995 will surely rise once more. If that's true, listen more for the Tigers' roar. My guest for this episode is journalist for Good Weekend in the Age and Sydney Morning Herald and, of course, the author of Yellow and Black, A Season with Richmond, Stronger and Bolder, and the trilogy, The Hard Way, Mr Conrad Marshall. 
chips it to Long. Bond comes in, does it magnificently. Elliot couldn't control it. Dundas is going to give the Bond. Here's a go. Bond to Maxfield. Go and kick the goal, Stewie. Straighten it up. Bang it home. It's a beauty. They're in front of times. O'Donnell's at the down behind play. Here's Campbell through the centre. Little run to centre half. Well, they weren't looking at the time because he gave it up. Pippen shot was OK. excited about this particular title, A Tiger Tale, Richmond in 1995. A sort of very special Richmond team held in the hearts of probably any Tiger supporter over 30 as it was our only really one glimpse of success during a very bleak era for the club. Conrad Marshall is my guest reviewer. Now, Conrad has basically written what is now a trilogy of books about, well, Richmond winning grand finals uh, over three out of the past four years. Uh, And he's my guest reviewer this week on the Australian Football Video Film Festival. Conrad, I'm so excited to have you on the show and talk about A Tiger Tale. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm pumped to be here, Dylan. I I mean, I'm sitting at my desk in Melbourne and I have a little Matty Knight's bobblehead staring back at me. I have a Nick Daffy bobblehead staring back at me. I have a Wegg player series sketch on the wall that's signed and um, signed and of Nida, Richo, Duncan Calloway, Daffy and Wayne Campbell because once upon a time we didn't have Mark Knight posters celebrating three premierships in four seasons. We just had to cling to like the cult heroes of special seasons and the bloody the 1995 Tigers. I mean, I was in year 12 at the time. My mates were all bloody Carlton supporters and Essendon supporters. And I don't know, it was that, it was that first glimpse of something great, um, massive crowds and some, some impressive wins and starting with, you know, 10 wins out of 11 games. It was just, oh, I mean, like a lot of Tigers, it's my, it's my favourite season other than these sort of glory days that we're experiencing right now. The 1995 second semi-final was our premiership for, for so many years. So, yeah, thanks very much for having me. You are right. 1995 is still really special in the hearts and minds of a, a lot of the Tiger Army. And the, the, the video, A Tiger Tale, I watched a lot as a kid because... Naturally, there weren't many recent premiership videos uh, to watch. So this video did get a fair old workout back in the day. Um, Did you know there was also a video made the season before called Tigers on the Prowl? You'll never guess which position on the ladder we finished that year. (laughs) Some sort of ignominious um, number just after eight, maybe? Yes, yes. They released a video for our very first ninth finish under the new top eight system. Unbelievable. Oh, goodness. At least we were able to turn it around and shoot into finals. So clearly the production company saw the potential of Richmond being good 
by releasing a video with the Tigers finishing ninth. But you are right. 1995, I guess, for a lot of the Richmond fans, was, was kind of like oxygen. We had nothing, but we had 1995. We had that one good year. Yeah, and look, it wasn't just based on the the results um, either. It was it was sort of this cast of characters. Like I rewatched the the doco, the film uh, this afternoon, in fact, and um, and I was just amazed to remember all of these awesome names that were part of the team. Then I mean, there was Richo doing his knee. There was Tony Free doing his knee. So we were without them. I'd kind of forgotten that. Freezer wasn't part of the campaign either. Like we were quite hobbled going into finals, but then it's like people I lo- like. Matty Knights is my pretty much my all-time favourite Richmond player. Now Matthew Knights. Every time Richmond look as though they need something as a lifter, it's Knights. Can he kick his fourth, third goal? He gets inside, well inside fifty. This will bring the house down if you don't mind, umpire. It's a goal to Matthew Knights. It's just absolutely what football's all about. You go millions of miles to watch You know, I loved the fact that I could go along in that era when we weren't great and watch a dude who had, you know, preternatural sort of class and time with the ball, even though he wasn't particularly fast, you know, that could dominate when he played for the big V. And then Paul Broderick and Stewie Maxfield and Scotty Turner and, you know, Nick, Daffy, I think that might have been the season in which Mick Malthouse called him like the best half forward in the comp. And he didn't say small half forward. You know, he said half forward, meaning better, you know, that year than Wayne Carey. Um, And just a whole host of cult figures, you know, whether it's Paul Bullis or um, Matty Rogers, Jamie Tape, Duncan Calloway. Chris Nash, just the, the list goes on and on. And then the fun fan favourite ones like, um, you know, Bowser and um, Stuart Wigney, who was also injured. Not to mention the, the Gales, <laughs> you know, the Gale brothers um, and involved in it, both of them involved in a bit of drama that year too. Like it's just, um, it's, it's really worth watching this film again just to relive that season because it was so much fun. So much fun. Now, Conrad, you've written uh, three books now on Richmond, uh, recapping their 2017, 2019 and 2020 grand finals. Just just the three books, um, if you don't mind. But um, I've actually gone... We're going to do something a bit different uh, on this show because I've actually found a, a similar kind of book uh, to what you did uh, from back in 1995 uh, called... The Tiger Files, Volume 1, The Story of the Richmond Football Club by Brian Hansen and the one and only Jack Dyer. Now, for those of you just wondering who... uh, For those of you wondering, Brian Hansen was actually Jack Dyer's ghostwriter at the Truth newspaper back in the day with his uh, column, Diarrhea. And... um, The book is basically... It's basically just a series of match reports from the 95 season but there's like a little column on the side with Jack Dyer's take. So as we go through the 95 video, I reckon we might just have a couple of passages from Captain Blood. Fantastic. Let's get into this classic film, A Tiger Tale. And the season sort of opens up with Richmond playing Fremantle in their first ever match. That's right. And Frio uh, wearing that distinctive um, uni that had... um, 
quite a lot of green in it. I think they even had the green shorts on. It was a bit jarring to um, to see them take the field at the MCG. And, um, of course, we um, we handed them a loss uh, to to begin their initiation into AFL, was, which was quite nice. And that, um, that of course, started off the, the brilliant run that we had um, in the beginning of the year. I think we only just won that. I actually remember going to this game. Now, I should stress, I was about six or seven years old that year, but I do remember going to this match because... All I can remember from it is Fremantle running out onto the MCG for the very first time and the first ever playing of Frio Heave Ho. Rigging around the ground and people looking very confused and naturally being a bit young, I kind of thought, oh, this is cool. <laughs> and um, has it held up? What do, you, what do you think of the song these days? I fully respect that Fremantle have stuck with it. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I like a lot of the new songs. I think um, they get given uh, given a real workout by um, traditionalists and members of the, the big Melbourne clubs who have these wonderful old fable singers sort of renditions that they can cling to and throw back in their face. But, um, you know, we love, we love the big, big sound, don't we? <clears throat> but, yes, you are right. It did sort of... Little did people know that Richmond would go on a good run because I think it was only just a five-point win to kick off 95. But then we have that couple of weeks at Waverley. Um, and what I did notice in the fir- in the round two and round three games, so we play Hawth- uh, St Kilda one week and Hawthorne the next, both at Waverley, is that Channel 7 didn't even bother to cover it. It looks like it was the, the, the highlights were filmed on a camcorder. <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of... Um... That's again what's what's nice about watching this um, film is that we don't sort of we didn't have instant replays and we weren't able to just kind of record them on our IQ four box and watch you know repeats ad nauseum ad infinitum and so I reckon a lot of the moments of that season aren't kind of seared in our brain the way that moments throughout the last four years are but I'll tell you one that is is round four Richmond take on North Melbourne I was at that game and remember it vividly. Suddenly, people were taking notice of Northies Young Tigers. On the Anzac Day round, the AFL scheduled five days of football, and for the first time, Monday night footy was a reality. 62,000 packed the MCG to see Richmond unleash a barrage of goals against North. Six goals in eight minutes, all but sewed up the points. I was a huge, ridiculous, like, Paul Bullis fan. In fact, I think in my like high school yearbook, um, I think my quote might have been something about like wanting to form the first Paul Bullis um, or the inaugural Paul Bullis fan club. And Bully took on the King that night, and I think Richmond kicked something like nine goals to I don't know a couple in the first quarter, uh, and we trounced North Melbourne, and um, and Paul Bullis had a a night out on Wayne Carey, so that was a that was a real sort of um, special moment for me in the season. Four wins on the trot, and we knocked over North, who had who used to just thrash us under lights at the G. So that was a sweet one. I think Stuart Edwards also kicked four goals that game. Alongside him, the towering Stewie Edwards. He too would kick four in a forty-nine point blitz. Now the charge is on Edwards. Tell me he's kicked another one. 
You're right. That was one name, though, that I have to admit when I saw it on the video, I was like, I've, I've almost, almost all memory of that guy has sort of evaporated for me. Um, and he's one, but he is one of the few. I'd say I remember just about you know the, all the stats for for every other one of the players on the field that year. I think that was the sort of match that sort of established because it's what it's four rounds in and Richmond have won four in a row. They've had this huge win over North Melbourne, and people are starting to think, "Oh, hang on, Richmond might actually be good this year." And um, there's 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 clips throughout the program, the documentary with. Uh, the then chairman of selection, uh, the the then chairman of selectors, Tony Jewell, uh, singing the praises of the boys. Having beaten Hawthorne, gave us that confidence to go up against North Melbourne, and we were well aware that it was our uh, that was uh, a real test for us, and everyone was going to look at us and uh, judge us on that performance. Um, and again, we we came through with flying colours, but I think that the the, the the Hawthorne was a catalyst for that win. I just think that they came off that. Hawthorne game, full of confidence. He's not very expansive, though, is he, Tony? Like, they do keep cutting back right. to him, and I'm like, this is a bit strange because this isn't done in real time. Like, he has no reason to sort of bite his tongue and um, and not say much, and yet he offers um, precious little insight. I, I found that the cutaways to Wayne Campbell were much more insightful. He um, he seemed to have a really good memory of each of each clash, um, he had some appalling attire though. There was like a sort of a knitted, a knitted like button-up vest that he was wearing, which I don't know. I mean, I was <clears throat> I was eighteen in nineteen ninety-five. That was not the style of the time. I think in one of the Wayne Campbell cutaways, it looks like they're interviewing him in the back alleyway of a nightclub. Mm, exactly. Maybe the tunnel. Yeah, but most likely that that particular nightclub has been referenced fairly frequently. On this program, by the way, you're not the first guest to mention the Tunnel Nightclub. Um, avid listeners of the program should know. Hey, to go back to the North Melbourne game, um, we, we, we're talking about a Tiger Tail documentary, but I want to refer to you to Jack Dyer's take from the match. Oh, let's hear it. Against North Melbourne. And it's, um, it is an outstanding piece of diarism and, you just need to imagine the great Captain Blood's voice, but this is this is how he uh, thought about this uh, North Melbourne match. <clears throat> that was a very special performance and reminded me of the great Tiger sides of the 30s, 60s and 70s. There is a camaraderie between the boys akin to those days when the players used to descend on the old Ron Carson garage. That was the time when the players were all part of each other and Ron set up what we called the Carson Oasis, where the boys had a beer every night and talked football, football, football and got it all together. Watching the enthusiasm of the kids, seeing the excitement they feel for each other when they do something special, that's an extraordinary thing to have in a football side. But I heard more than that tonight. It brought tears to me eyes. Young men playing their hearts out for each other. They didn't give two hoots about who gets paid what or where the big dollar is. They just played football like they loved football. And they played as a team. But did you hear that crowd? Now that's Richmond. There is a depth to Richmond that you don't find at Carlton, Collingwood or Essendon. The real emotion shows when the stands rock and the crowds won't disperse and keep singing the theme song for half an hour after the game is over. It was a magic atmosphere out there tonight, on ground and in the stands. It might be the MCG, but it was Tigerland to the core. 
I could have gone out there and conducted the whole scene. It felt so good. That's special. And a special rendition, Dylan. Um, that's brilliant. I, um, I'd i like to know, did he, did he write Tears to Me Eyes or Tears to My Eyes and you just added the, the right dollop of mayo to it? It's written as my, but there's no way Jack Dyer did not say Tears to Me Eyes. Exactly. I, I think, you know, poetic license granted. I think you need to appreciate how how Captain Blood would say it. And I do. I definitely do. What a great one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then the, so we've had that big win over North Melbourne. And then um, there's that game against the Brisbane Bears the next week, which unfortunately sees Tony Free do, do his knee and he misses the rest of the season, which I think a lot of us forget. I reckon we do, although we have the, the memory of him being carried off, seared into our brains. Like if, if you Asked me to conjure up, yeah, yeah, what happened that time that Tony Free was injured? You'd remember him being carried by the two trainers with the the knees sort of dangling over. He wasn't stretched off as they would do sort of today. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I always really, I still have to sort of wonder what that kind of injury did to our finals chances later on. Like, I don't want to jump the gun. We'll, we'll get to discussing the, the finals. But, um, gee, he was an important part of that that unit um, and a, a really just added to what was a pretty deep midfield already. Um, and down he goes quite early in the year. Tony Free was my first favourite footballer. He was, was truly he? my what, first favourite footballer. Uh, yeah. I, I was pretty young, but I think because he was the captain of the team, he was always on the television talking mm. about the Tigers. Um, I think I liked him because he seemed to get a lot of the football. Um, but I've actually got a story of meeting Tony Free when I was about that age as well. Um, so my mother, who you, of course, work with, um, was doing a story at, uh, I think it was something along the lines of a night at the Olympic Park Greyhounds. All right. And so I think she's, she's I think she was working at the Melbourne Weekly at the time. Yep. Uh, you know, suburban newspaper. And um, she took me along <laughs> and uh, I got, I just randomly pointed out Tony Free and got to meet him and got his autograph at the Olympic Park Greyhounds as like a seven-year-old. Bully for you. That's awesome. He was brilliant throughout this video as well. I um, he was quite um, I don't know. He was just he was very well spoken. You know, quite erudite. And I um, it, it sort of comes as no surprise having seen him speak like that that the man you know did um end up on our board uh for a time at, at Tigerland because he um seems like a man with a good head on his shoulders. The following week. It's Richmond and Collingwood, and it's a delightful introduction. Collingwood are having their worst start to a season. The Tigers are having their best start to a season. Richo puts on a show, and I think there is a bit in the highlights of Sandy Roberts going wild about Nick Daffy. Richardson, the acrobat. Kelly is caught. The ball spills free. Hassel a chance. He handles it like breeze light. Oh, Christensen smothered up the boot. This could result in a goal. Flip round by Daffy. A very good kick by the duck. Is a goal. How good is that? Yeah, well, it's hard not to go wild about Nick Daffy that year. I mean, as I said, I, I have the bobblehead in front of me, which um, I'm, I think I'm at a plead online I was searching for one or somebody had a lot of different bobbleheads and a, and a, a Tigers fan was good enough to send it to me um, 
gratis because he was just so amazing. The way he could pull the ball back, like not just snap it, but sort of pull the ball back across his body with these um, shaping kind of drop punts. And then also the way that he could roost um, and snap on his left too. Like he was every bit as ambidextrous as, you know, Leon Cameron or someone like that. And he was just, he was glorious to watch. And in that game in particular, but, oh, gee, my favourite highlight from the film um, highlights was uh, watching Craig Kelly get uh, trounced because I always always hated Craig Kelly. I mean, I hated Collingwood, as, as we all are expected to do, but there were certain Collingwood players that came in for um, for the most venom, and, and he was one of them. I just don't like nasty, dirty... Uh, Backman, uh, he may have become a, a wonderful player agent, but he was a bit of a, a shit of a player. Uh, no, known for the pinchy pinch, I recall. The pinchy pinch, yeah. He didn't try that on again too quickly, did he? Um, throughout the video, it's not only just Richmond highlights, round by round highlights, but of course there's like a little uh, throwback to some news stories during the year. And uh, I guess one of the main characters, one of the stars of the video throughout the film, A Tiger Tale, Richmond in 1995, is of course the one and only Matthew Richardson, a 19-year-old Matthew Richardson uh, with the long, flowy 90s grunge hair. He's playing some of the best footy of his life. And there's this really kind of nice story about um, how he, I think it was getting a bit of goal-kicking practice from Disco Roach, and then they interview his old man, uh, Bull Richardson. He's become one of the hottest properties in footy, and tomorrow we'll meet with prospective managers Ricky Nixon and the AFL's Craig Kelly. This year, after some goal-kicking tips from Michael Roach, Richardson has booted 21 goals three. I just used what Roach has said over the summer and just practised a bit every night at training, and I suppose it's just come along. Also a bit of experience, I think. I did like watching... Um, less sort of self-assured Richo. You know, he's a very comfortable media presence now, Matty Richardson, um, and has been for some time. In fact, my um, my first assignment when I joined Fairfax, uh, which is almost 12 years ago, was immediately after Richo's retirement, he was being pumped up as Channel 7's new sort of celebrity uh, boundary rider and I got to I got to profile Richo and kind of hang out with him for three or four days, shadowing him as he as he did his um, his practice, whether it was on three AW or or on the the TV screen itself. And he was already pretty uh, comfortable with the camera by then, and even more so now. Uh, but back in this <laughs> Tiger Tale from nineteen ninety five, far out, he just looks every bit a young sort of nervous teenage kid from Tassie thrown into uh, the big league, doesn't he? He's got this nervous sort of stuttery way of speaking and he doesn't want to say the wrong thing at all, so he barely says anything whatsoever. Um, but it's endearing uh, all the same, particularly given um, that he had such a, a horrible season, which I'm sure you're, um, you're ready to address shortly, round nine. Sydney, yes, that fucking boundary. We'll get to, the, yeah, well, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll 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 get into that shortly. We'll get into the tragedy of a tiger tail. Uh, but you do mention those those two sort of stories about Richo, um, particularly, um, you know, that it's 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 kind of a nice one where they 
profile his old man. Um, and, and we hear something from Bull. Alan Bull Richardson was an uncompromising ruck rover who played 102 games for the Tigers in the 60s. He wasn't fast or tall, but tough in the packs and quick with a handball. It's Bull Richardson with what a great game this fellow's played. Tonight. He's been coached by one of my best mates, Johnny Naughty, and, uh, you know, Johnny's doing a fantastic job with the team and it really is good. There's also something sweet when, he, when he's talking about his love of the Tigers as well. You talk about that sweet, innocent kid from Tasmania. It meant a lot to me to play at Richmond. I mean, always followed Richmond and... Uh, knowing that Dad had played here and uh, looking through his old scrapbooks and that, I suppose, when I was young, it always gave me that spark to uh, try and get over here. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think also just Bull, um, you know, uh, kind of off the cuff referring to Swooper Northy being able to help um, help straighten Richo out a little bit and, and, you know, calling him one of my best mates or maybe even calls him my best mate um, at, at any rate. Even though they played in the same era, I had no idea that they were, you know, that close, um, which is a, a really, must have been a really nice settling sort of connection for Richo when he arrived at the club to think that not only was it the club of his old man, but he was being coached by one of his old man's best mates. So the Tigers keep on their merry ways in 95. They play the Crows on a rainy MCG night. Uh, and it's the first time they've won seven in a row since 1920, Tony Jules back at another clip of Tony Jules being, yep, everyone doubted us, stating the bleeding obvious like he does throughout the film. Everyone doubted us, and, uh, and no doubt uh, the opposition coaches would have tried to uh, uh, erase that feeling from their players' minds, but public opinion was so strong that we weren't quite good enough. It would have been a hard job, and uh, I think it worked in our advantage. So. And then round eight comes along. Richmond are playing Geelong at the MCG and you never guess who just ruins the winning streak for us now. I've always said that Richmond fans also admire, love, admire Gary Ablett Senior because they always saw the very best of him. Yeah, now fortunately I was not at that game. I don't know what prevented me from being there, but um, I'm certainly glad that I wasn't. I'm sure Ablett was wonderful. And I don't care that I missed one highlight of it at all. Frankly, I'd, I could do without having seen his highlights up close against Richmond. It was more than enough to... I think I saw him in that state game um, when Teddy Whitten was driven around the, the outside of the, the ground and that Mariah Carey song, Hero, was playing and he couldn't see and he was waving and they were, you know... Gee, there were just tears in everybody's eyes um, that day and I got to see guys up close and personal then and i'll take that because <laughs> Jesus, it was just it was just merciless what he and dunstall used to do to richmond throughout um you know my childhood and teenage years it was um brutalizing and and horrible and um honestly seeing the little highlights and seeing that they flogged us in round eight this year and then did what they did later in the year uh and then kept doing for another couple of decades. Um, I, I just love the fact that we now have the wood over them in you know, a qualifying final, a preliminary final and a grand final. I've said to people before, I, I think we need to get into a second semi-final next year against Geelong just so that we can beat them in all four weeks of finals and maybe someone could release like 
a box set of those four finals against Geelong. Like, uh, that would be a really a great selling item, I reckon. Where would you like that semi final to be played? Well, not at Skilled, um, and not at, <laughs> not at not at um, not at Waverley. Um, I would I would love it to be a Geelong home final at the MCG. You wouldn't have it any other way, would you? Mm. I, I guess in this film, is Gary Ablett Senior a villain? Uh, he's always a villain to me. Um, yeah. he, he really yeah. is. Just for for what he used to do to Richmond. Um, the very first episode of this program the Australian Football Video Film Festival, um, the first film title that we did was actually Ablett One Special Season, um, which recapped, which, yeah, which recapped his 1993 season with the Cats, which is probably one of the best individual performances a player has ever had. Um, but in the show, um, we found a passage from Gary Linnell's book, uh, Rudy Edsel was my guest reviewer for that one. But it, we, we, we found a passage from uh, Gary. Well, Gary Linnell wrote a book about Adlet Senior mm. about the making of this 1993 video, which is one of the highest selling sports videos in Australian history, I might add, mm. um, of just how difficult Ablett was during the editing process. <laughs> in fact, there was a quote from Sandy Roberts, who was the, who sort of narrated the documentary and Sandy's a very well-reserved, uh, very polite person, but his quote was, he was difficult. <laughs> yeah, and look, I, I've recently read the um, great book, uh, the 1989, The Great Grand Final by Tony Wilson, and it was not... Also been on this program. Excellent. Well, it was not just about that game, um, but it was about really the the seasons that led up to it, and um, and how the the cats of that era came into being, and, and the hawks too. And, and he goes into really excellent detail about how difficult a, a figure Ablett was for you know other players, opponents, his own coaches, um, all throughout. You know, there's a there's a reason that people recognised his brilliance at Hawthorne, but were were able to let him go you know he's a he's a strange enigmatic um figure but let's never lose sight having remembered the pain that he's inflicted on richmond let's go back to talking about richmond um we we lose our first match to geelong but there is something we should really address and that's the following week in sydney where i guess the tragedy the drama the tragedy of the 1995 season occurs do you care to explain what happened in this match yeah, yeah, certainly. You mean um, Stuart Wigney getting badly injured? That's the... Yeah, there, there was Stuart Wigney getting injured. He, he got the three Brownlow votes that day. Um, <laughs> no, but... yes. Sorry, being facetious, of course. Matty Richardson, our, our galloping sort of gazelle running all over the field, rampant, you know, just at the sort of peak of his raw athletic powers. He hadn't yet fully focused it, but he was showing what he was capable of and... Yeah, just hurtling towards the fence. I think he's got Dunkley hot on his um, on his heels, and uh, and because of the lack of distance between the boundary line and the fence, he pulls up to try and brace for impact as he comes down from an aerial contest, and it forces his um, his leg to lock up, jar back badly, and um, and rupture his anterior cruciate ligament, uh, and you know 
maybe ended Richmond's hopes in some ways of um, of going for the flag that season. Um, we did win the game, as you said, Stuart Wigney, who was also badly injured, was got three votes, but um, but it was just atrocious. And I, I did love noticing in the video though that the uh, that the AFL acted immediately. I I always remembered that and was wasn't sure if it was just sort of a hazy. Um, recollection that wasn't quite accurate, but they but they did act really swiftly. I think it was within that week that they decided to bring the boundary line in by a metre at the SCG so that it would be more in line with other stadiums where there's a good cushion between between boundary and fence, um, but it was too late for Richo. Mm. I've always wanted a Royal Commission into that SCG boundary line, if you ask me. And, you know, you'd be right for demanding one. Um, the only thing that we've... Got, I guess, in um, hindsight, uh, in our favour is that, of course, he, he came back really so, just so strongly. Like his 1996 season was really special. He was much stronger from, you know, obviously spending a lot of time in the gym, but hadn't lost any of his sort of trademark pace or endurance or, or ability to sort of leap at contests. Um, and he had much better hair too. He came back with excellent long hair and that, that strange sort of um, flapping down the back but also a ponytail at the same time. I think a, a haircut that was favoured by, by you know, Wayne Campbell too. Um, and, you know, he was, uh, he was unbelievable um, when he returned, which is not always the case when, you know, a particularly an athletic player comes back from one. You're always wondering when they're going to do it again. You know? Is he going to become like... Um, a peer of his era, David Schwartz, and do four knees. You know, Richo never did mm. one again. Um, so we were, we were blessed in that sense. But in 1995, we was robbed. We was robbed. I, I do like the news report about the SCG boundary line that happens in the video after it. Richmond officials were incensed after the match and are blaming Richardson's injury on the closeness of the boundary line to the fence. Um, and... The Richmond Football Club are clearly filthy about the SCG, and there's that grab from the one and only Brian Waldron, who some of you may remember as the Melbourne Storm CEO uh, during the salary cap debacle, mm-hmm. absolutely tearing shreds or being a bit uh, facetious to the SCG Trust. If it had happened at Waverley or at the MCG or any normal size ground, he'd probably be playing next week. He's like, well, if it was at the MCG or Waverley or a normal size football ground, he would be playing next week, wouldn't he? Absolutely. No question. No, I love that too. Yeah. The news grab yep. throughout the video and were excellent. I think, and, and Richo, you know, but as we mentioned, you know, young, sweet, innocent Richo is just like, oh, football's a cruel game. I'll be right. Nobody needed to remind Matthew Richardson today that football can be a cruel game. It's pretty hard, but I mean, the first few hours are the worst. I'm sort of starting to get over it a bit now. Because, <laughs> <sighs> well, I, I think at the time, a, a young 19-year-old Matthew Richardson is looking at a Richmond winning all the time, about to play finals, thinking, well, this is going to be the norm. Yeah, and you'd think he had every right to believe that too. I mean, the calibre of the team, the sort of the depth across all the lines, like it, um, I mean, we know what happened, but it is sort of sad and staggering to think that we didn't stay up the top reaches of the ladder coming back. Um, well, him coming back from from that knee, really, like we were quite young um, and had talent to burn, and 
it's one of those inexplicable parts of the the black hole that was being a Richmond supporter for so long, really, is that we could have a year like 1995 uh, and it wouldn't be followed up year upon year with something of a similar standard. That's all we ever really wanted for Richmond was some consistency and I think it's clearly what Richo expected. Now, you might find this a bit strange, but I'm here to tell you that there is only one football club in the country that everyone should follow. No, it's not Melbourne, it's not Carlton or North Melbourne, and it's not even the Swans. It's the club that's kicked more goals than any other. Hasn't missed many in his entire career, and that kick is a goal. It's the Australian Football Video Club. Western again with a hand pass coming over to Watson. This could be another goal. It is. It's the only club that gives fans everywhere exactly what they're after. <laughs> hours and hours of your team in action. It clears the pack. Here's Grant. He's shoved over. Now Tony Free. Oh, and the foot goes free. Oh, he's kicked a great goal. Fantastic footage of football's favourite sons. The would-be's, the could-be's, the has-been's, the could-have-been's, the yippee-beans. <laughs> what a character. <laughs> what a character. <laughs> what a man, man down there. <laughs> it's all here and much, much more when you join the greatest club of all, the Australian Football Video Club. There's no joining fee and you can get your first video for $20 if you join right now. Check the details on the catalogue that's with this video or call 1800 035 665 now. The Australian Football Video Club. It's a ripper. Now, as always here on the Australian Football Video Film Festival, we're here to tell you about our major sponsor, our great friends. That is, of course, the mighty, the famous leaguetees.com.au. Number one in football fashion and given this is a richmond themed show of course the mighty 1995 tigers and incredibly self-indulgent tiger fans head on over to leaguetees.com.au their richmond range is simply fantastic it is the best the best stuff i cannot speak any higher of this range of quality football merchandise. You've got your T-shirts, you've got your badges. Hey, there's even a poster here. Hey, if you want to get uh, on, the, celebrate the 2020 Premiership in style, why not get a Brisbane-themed Premiership T-shirt? Gabba 2020 Tiger Territory. It's got the Story Bridge sort of shaped in yellow and black uh, sashes. It is a brilliant piece of artwork. Um, if I do say so myself, they've even got the Queensland Richmond supporters uh, badges available for uh, sale and... Uh, 
I do say, whoever runs that group does a sensational job. Uh, there's a Tiger Time t-shirt. There's SO Tigers. There's Tetley Tigers. There's nothing more tigerish. There's MCG Tigers. There's Tiger Army. There's Raw Power. There's Tiger Tsunami. Oh, my God. It's just a plethora of Richmond goodness. You are. This is the best Tiger stuff, bar none. So get on to leaguetees.com.au. Stock up. Badges. T-shirts. Posters, they've got it all. Leaguetees.com.au After the Swans game, uh, there's a clash against Footscray at the MCG, which turns out to be our 900th AFL win. Uh, both the Gales are injured. It's another one that's not covered by the television and is clearly just the camcorder uh, picking up highlights from this game that Channel 7 couldn't be bothered turning up to. But um, I did like a thing there, and I don't think... I think He's very much still loved in the hearts and minds of a lot of Richmond supporters, but there's a clip of... Tony Freak just singing the praises of the one and only Duncan Calloway. He's been a fantastic pickup, very professional, uh, very astute about the game. And he just worked so hard around the midfield area. Uh, he had a sensational year last year, and um, this year mightn't be quite the equal of last year, but still he's been very effective. Yeah, this film, uh, it's wonderful, but um, it's really sadly lacking in Duncan Calloway highlights generally, um, and, and there are a lot. I mean, I, I am aware of his ability at foot passing and the fact that he doesn't look lithe when he's slotting a drop punt, which is very strange for a left footer. Most left footers just look like they have this, this beautiful kicking action and Duncan was not that way. Um, but, gee, where, where, were the, where were the clips of him doing diving sheep tackles or gang tackling with the rest of the team or bloodied smothers or, um, you know, couldn't couldn't half an hour of the film been devoted to him sort of tagging and blanketing and comprehensively beating James Hurd because, you know, he used to do that sort of thing routinely. So, I don't know, take a long, hard look at yourself, Tiger Tail. <laughs> I, I actually, I've, I've still got my birthday card I got from Duncan Calloway um, when I was a kid, when part of my junior Richmond membership. Got a signed photo of him. Family heirloom. Oh, absolutely. I hold it very tre- – it's one of my treasured treasured items, Conrad. <laughs> the following week – this is a huge game for Richmond. The following week, Richmond are 10 wins, uh, nine wins uh, – sorry, yeah, nine wins from 10 games. But they're playing – they face the West Coast Eagles, the 1994 reigning premiers, a team that has given nothing but torture to Richmond since they joined the competition in 1987. It's a Richmond home game. Where are we playing this game? We're playing this game at Optus Oval slash Icon slash whatever, at Prince's Park, at bloody, at Carlton's terrible little dung heap of a ground and a stadium. Um, I tramped my way out there uh, by myself, actually. I, I used to go to the footy quite a lot with mates, but this was one of the very few times I just went by myself uh, and stood behind the goals. And, um, gee, I think I had a sort of a four-way parlay sort of um, bet going, a footy bet, and all three parts of it had come to pass. 
Uh, and then the fourth part of it was that I had Richmond by up to 10 goals. And of course, they won by 10 and a half goals, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, was the best possible circumstances under which to not make a fortune on a, um, on a TAB bet is because your team has won by too much. But um, what a day. I mean, I vividly remember the banner. It's still my favourite banner ever. I think it was words to the tune of, because this was the thing, nobody really rated us um, and certainly people didn't think we deserved to be top of the ladder or that we were a top of the ladder side. And I think the banner was like, we object to being labelled suspect. Now we expect to be shown some respect. And brilliant. It, it was bold and awesome. And then they went out and just lived that. And, you know, there were a couple of goals from NIDA. There were goals from Daffy. Like, it was just um, an incredible, incredible day out there. The only good memory that I have at that ridiculous football ground. Richmond's home ground, Prince's Park. Actually, we did have an awesome win there a couple of years later. I don't know if you remember it, but there was that last game of the season, Unleash the Geish against Carlton. Oh. Um, and we denied them a spot in the finals after being 40 points down. Can... That was the day before Princess Diana died. I th- Brilliant day. I wasn't there. I wasn't there because I had way too many Carlton supporter mates in general. Uh, and... yeah. I don't know, maybe we weren't doing as well that year. And I just, well, of course we weren't. We had to have a new coach. But um, I just couldn't, um, I couldn't bring myself to be in that, that atmosphere and uh, particularly with a bunch of um, rampant, rabid blues. But um, they got their comeuppance and, and I missed a great one. All right. Well, I do. You speak of great Richmond banners. That uh, There was that banner that day of the, that Carlton game a couple of years later, which was. Unleash the Geish in 98. <laughs> awesome. Just uh, and another another little tidbit. Well, while we're on off on a tangent, another little tidbit. They didn't play the Richmond theme song after the game and Carlton got a fine for it. I know that as a fact. Oh, that's wonderful, actually, to think that they would be so <laughs> petty. I mean, that that kind of warms my, um, warms my heart in some ways to think that they took it so personally. So that's beautiful, really. It's it's fitting. Hey, to go back onto this um, West Coast game because it, it is it is the Richmond needs to make a statement. Who are these pretenders? They're just having a bit of luck. Um, I want to go back to the Tiger book, um, the Tiger Files, mm. Volume One. Apparently, the story of the Richmond Football Club by Brian Hansen and Joe Jack Dyer. I don't know if there was a Volume Two released, but if there is, please drop us a line at AFE Film Festival on the socials. But um, there's a little bit of um, Jack Dyer's preview. There's a, like so Captain Blood in this book does a little preview of the game and a review of the game. And his preview in the week leading up to it is great. So okay. I'll, uh, I'll 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 give it my best Captain Blood for you. <laughs> the dire preview. The football graveyard is full of coulda beans. The football dead who didn't have a red hot go. There is no substitute in team sport for endeavor. Having a go. If two teams meet head-on and both give it their best shot, then ability will probably decide the issue. But if only one side has a go, bet your life that it's the side that will win the day. The West Coast Eagles are goers. It's instinct. 
It's an instinct that's been instilled in them by Mick Malthouse. And we know what Mick was like when he was at Tigerland. There is no way the Eagles won't give their all. And the same applied to the Richmond boys. I haven't seen them take a backward step this year. And they're not likely to begin now. So skill should be the deciding factor. The Eagles lack depth in their attack. And a resolute Tiger defence will shut them down. It seems to me that the Richmond attack, even without Richardson, still has more bite with Daffy, Naish, Broderick and Bond being such brilliant crummers. This is a chance to drive a stake through the Eagles and set up a prime position in the finals. More than anything, this is the day for Richmond to kill off the knockers. If Richmond belong at the top, this is the day to prove it. He's amazing. He nails it. Absolutely. That sort of was one of their Achilles heels, wasn't it? Their their attack. I mean, when you think of the great West Coast Eagles team of that era, you immediately start in the back line. You know, you go to like Guy McKenna, Jakovic and Warsfold as that half back line. Guys like Brett Hetty, Ashley McIntosh, wingmen like Turley and Main Waring and then all their on ballers. And it, it isn't for a while that you start thinking, oh, yeah, I've got to name a forward. And what was it, like Peter Sumich, who wasn't, you know, he was great, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't Richo, was he? Um, and, um, and yeah, we got it done comprehensively, 63 points. I, I will admit I didn't see the emphatic nature of it coming, but, um, man, you felt like you believed after you, you saw that game. A 60-point win would be Richmond's greatest margin over the men from the West, a record score. The drought had ended. With 10 wins from 11 games, Richmond was still on top. The following, so we're actually top of the ladder after that game as well. We have two weeks on top. I think it's two or three weeks on top of the ladder. We're the top of the ladder Richmond, which is a rare, which given the, I mean, you have to figure out from 1980, so it's the first time since 1982, so what, it's been 13, 14 years uh, of just absolute Richmond bleakness. Um, and then the following week, uh, the top of the table, table Tigers take on 15th place Fitzroy and pretty much nearly blow the game and just do not... They, they clearly bullet, drank a bit of their own bathwater that week because um, they almost allow Fitzroy to steal the win. Yeah, I, I remember being at that game and it was it was really strange to see that the Roy boys were, um, were in touch like that. Um, I, I remember very little else of it. Um, and probably because I just want to banish it from my um, from my mind, really. Uh, I was just happy to, as they say, take the four points and move on. Uh, it's a bit of a rough patch uh, we're entering in the Richmond 95 season. Um, they, they've established themselves. They've got enough wins. Things are looking good. The following week, they play Melbourne at the MCG in the old clash of co-tenants. The D's knocks Richmond off their perch and have a big win. And then there's this top-of-the-table clash against Carlton. Um, uh, which was the only time we played Carlton that season. Of course, that was the most recent season that Carlton Football Club uh, won a premiership 25 years ago. They're not a successful club like Richmond is <laughs> a- anymore. Um, God, God, that's fun to say. <laughs> oh, indeed it, indeed it is. Um, and I'm sure I was there that day with all of my annoying Carlton supporter mates and it was funny to see those um, those blues players of that era pop up on the screen, and I just uh, vividly remember my dislike for all of them. You know, I, I could find a reason to dislike any of them. I think uh, Stephen Kernahan is captured there. Um, you know, 
taking the the toss in the centre of the ground, and I remember vividly disliking him because I thought Carlton supporters were over the top in their praise of him, the same way as I, I didn't love um, Gary Lyon of that era because of the way that Melbourne supporters thought he was um, he was the bee's knees. They were, don't get me wrong, they're champion players, but I just thought they were always clearly a peg below all of the other key forwards of their era when you're talking Dunstalls and Lockets and Ablets and things like that. I just, I hated the way D's and Blues like to think that somehow Kernahan and Lyon belonged in that conversation. Um, and then, yeah, all of those other figures that were part of that, that 95 team that, that won, I mean, they were one of the strongest flag winning sides, but they were still a side that had Peter Dean and Earl Spaulding. So whatever. Scott Turner also got suspended for three weeks for belting Brett Ratton as well, I recall. Yeah, they had some footage of that in the film, didn't they? But um, I didn't know it was coming, and so I didn't see the, the the clear sort of whack. I don't know whether Scotty meant it. He, he probably did, right? A bitter blow for the Tigers would be the loss of Scott Turner. He was reported by field umpire Greg Scroop for striking Brett Ratton. He was suspended for three weeks, even though Scroop told the tribunal that he believed the action to have been accidental. If, if this is the Scott, same Scott Turner we're talking about, on reflection, yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I do like in the news... Actually, there is a news report, and I do like in the news report that um, the umpire abides by the player's code in the report. Goes, oh, no, it was definitely a mistake from Scotty. It's good to know that the player's code back then was a pact between both player and umpire who did the reporting. <laughs> It really was another era, and it's it's funny how easily that sort of slips from view. You know, it felt like for years and years, 95 was something that had only just happened that was part of sort of my recollection of regular football, and yet it's it's like more than 25 years ago now. It's outrageous, really. I don't, I don't, it doesn't bear thinking about passage of time. After the loss to Carlton arguably one of the best games of the year occurs. And we're talking about the round 15 Friday night clash against Essendon, the draw. Um, It was a brutal game of football. Uh, A very young Dylan can remember going to this and sitting near the melee that broke out in the forward pocket. Um, The game also features, and pardon me on indulgence here, Conrad, Arguably my favourite passage of Bruce McAvaney's commentary of all time. Now, I regard this passage of commentary better than his call of Kathy Freeman at Sydney 2000. <laughs> which is, of course, Stewie Maxfield's running goal from a Chris Bond intercept. Gets O'Donnell. He was going to play on the Mercedes call to play on. Chips it to Long. Bond comes in. Does it magnificently. Elliot couldn't control it. Dundas's little gift to Bond. Here's a go. Bond to Maxfield. Go and kick the goal, Stewie. Straighten it up. Bang it home. It's a beauty. They're in front of the Tigers. And it, it's along the lines of, like, I, I can quote it verbatim, and I will. It's Mercedes chipping for long. Bond comes in, does magnificently, although he couldn't control it. Dundas's little gift to Bond. Here's a go. Bond to Maxfield. Go ahead, kick a goal, Stewie. Straighten up, bang it home. It's a beauty. They're in front, the Tigers. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't think you'd be the only Tiger that could recite that from memory. It was... It was such a moment. I reckon I was right behind that Stewie Maxfield kick when he when he sent it through. 
Um, and I remember the melee really well too, although I, I hadn't um, until you just prompted it then. Um, what I remember of that was that, and maybe it's that there aren't very many melees anymore at the footy, but I just remember it felt like the entire stand was sort of heaving and screaming at them to get into it, like like they loved the melee. Now you would get a lot of people sort of, oh, stop it, you know, get back to the game, watch the ball, the umpire's bouncing it quickly. But back then, uh, in, a, in a less enlightened time, we just wanted them to belt the shit out of one another, didn't we? Um, I don't know. Uh, it was, it's again, just a great trip down memory lane to see those players running around, whether it's um, Che Cockatoo Collins or, you know, Jason Tawney. Another player, another player who's highlighted in the Essendon Round 15 game, and I reckon he became a bit of a cult favourite, and I actually still have his footy card as a future rising star, is the one and only Stephen Jurika. Eureka Jurika. Jurika, my goodness. Was that the game where he kicked the 50-metre worm burner? Into the pocket. Gatherers by Jurika. Just loses his footing, but able to get up quickly. Throws it onto his boot and scores the goal of the night so far. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I Look, I, I was hot for him that night, but I remember going to school the next week and, like, I was not going to lay a big bet on Stephen Jerika standing up and being our next gun full forward. I wasn't prepared to push the chips in on that one. But um, he did play a handful of games there and um, had a really solid attack on the ball because he was a big unit um, and, you know, he certainly helped us over the... Well, helped us to to the line against Essendon in that draw um, with a remarkable sort of first-up performance. But, yeah, cult figures everywhere. I noticed Justin Charles started to pop up a little bit at that point in the season too. God, he was one of them. Ah, yes. He really was. And to see him in the finals when they were doing the anthem with the, the hand on the heart because he'd spent so much time in the, in the US and picked that up. Um, I, I loved Justin Charles that year. At the end of the game, so the game ends in a draw and it's a gla- I believe it's a glaring omission from the video A Tiger Tale 1995. But thank goodness that YouTube.com exists because... Um, at the end of the match, they go to Dipper on the boundary line, and he's got the one and only Brendan Gale, who these days is one of the, who is the uh, chief executive officer of the Richmond Football Club, um, and I think it's something along the lines of, um, you know, oh, you know, Brendan, you've had a great game. What, you know, on behalf of everyone watching, that was fantastic, and I'm pretty sure the chief says something along the lines of, oh, Dipper, I couldn't give a stuff what the fans think. What can I say? 80,000 people, fantastic game. On behalf of all the football followers around Australia, terrific game. Your feelings here? Oh, mate, I don't care about the followers. Yeah. No, I was just gutted. Very disappointed for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The heat of battle does it to us all. Although I guess he was just a young uni student back then with, um, with you know, more curly hair than sense. Um, but... Um, Oh, it was a. It would have been a highly charged atmosphere for the young man as well. Watched his um, watched his brother go down with a shoulder injury, and then a, um, and then a concussion. Or was it? Um, I, I actually haven't heard people really explore this one. I had no idea 
of the media coverage at the time that had suggested he'd um, he was acting that entire time. Um, it's certainly hard to see how Butch Gale's head gets whacked by Wanganine, but it could have been contact, um, you know, to the temple that could have just hit him just right, albeit unintentionally. Because um, Gale lays on the ground, doesn't he, Butch? And he, he lays there even as people seem to be sort of treading on him, in some cases their boots scuffing up against his head. Like he, if he is knocked out, he is committed to the bit. Um, what's your view on that, Dylan? I uh, I do recall in the video there is a another news report about the aftermath of that uh, sort of Michael Gale Gavin Wangling Gavin Wanganing fight. A camera Essendon have filming behind the goals captured the whole incident. Wanganing attempts to shepherd off Gale, who then jumps up and fronts the former Brownlow medalist. They appear to push one another before Gale collapses in a heap. Wanganing then becomes entangled with the Tigers' Matthew Rogers. And you are right. One of the the, the Essendon official does accuse Michael Gale of Academy of an Academy Award performance when, no, he was clearly concussed. Essendon General Manager Roger Hampson, who viewed the tape today with football manager Danny Corcoran, is confident their man won't be charged. I think it's really an Academy Award performance for uh, he went down for so long. The videotape clearly shows that there's no substance whatsoever in the... Uh, uh, the... Um, and then there's those shots of that AFL investigator trying to work out what's happening and the... have you learned anything that you didn't already know oh well uh, obviously i have yeah i've, I've uh, got the uh, response from uh, richmond and, and uh now it's a president so nice they're showing this behind the goals footage but i'm just really impressed who channel 7 got to do the report because when i want fair and balanced reporting i want tim watson a favorite son of the essendon football club to report on it yeah a favourite son of the Essendon Football Club, not not long out of his playing days either. Recent yeah. recent Premiership player, recently retired, Tim Watson, to do the report. Oh, that stuff used to drive me insane, um, and not in the least because it always felt like there were no real um, Yeoldy Richmond champions in the um, in the media ether. Do you know what I mean? Like we didn't have mm. a successful side for a decade or so prior to that. So we didn't have any of these retiring champs that ended up with cushy um, gigs in radio or television. And so we never got to what? sort of hear those faces. And that's going to be one of the great things to enjoy about um, whenever this sort of glorious era that we're living right now ends is you know that half of this team are going to sort of um, – strap on the microphones and we're going to get to to hear from them a bit um a bit uh hence i think the only tigers in the media at the time i can think of would would have been kevin bartlett but mind you he wasn't uh he didn't want anything to do with the richmond football club at the time yeah he wasn't because he had his water for us he had his yeah he, he had his little extended boycott of the club and i guess the other one was rex hunt but no one really knew Rex Hunt as the former Richmond player. They knew him as the the fishing, the fishing, the fishing man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the man of yeah ridiculous commentary. He would have been at his zenith about mm. that year too, wasn't? Wouldn't he? Like that. That. Oh, that would have been, easy, yeah. Yeah. No. That. That's Rex at his absolute peak. Actually, YouTube shout out. There is a version of the nineteen ninety five semi final against Essendon. Synced to Rex Hunt's 3AW call. Highly, highly must-watch viewing uh, for all Richmond supporters. We will link it on our socials.
That's actually worth pointing out. Yes, you can actually view the 3AW. You can view the 1995 semi-final with Rex Hunt calling it. It is it's magnificent. It is a thing of beauty. A thing of beauty. In the aftermath of the Essendon draw, uh, back then we've played everyone once and then the, seat, the, the fixture used to kind of revert to who you played in the first seven rounds. So the Tigers head over to Subiaco uh, and play the Frio, um, who of course we played in round one. And Richmond had actually never won in WA at the time, and the Tigers actually get the win uh, fairly comfortably. But um, rather than talk about the highlights of the video, what I did enjoy was sort of Wayne Campbell's condescending, patronising attitude to playing Fremantle. Because so, usually when you go to Perth, you're playing the Eagles, and so the feeling's always pretty down. So, you know, not, not nothing against Fremantle, but, you know, they had been below us on the ladder, whereas the Eagles usually are above us. So it was sort of... Fun to go to Perth this time. Yeah, I was a bit surprised about that too. He still—it's not like he was retiring that year and could um, afford to sort of <laughs> laugh, laugh at the prospects. Yeah, he, he talked about how hard it would be, or always was, to go over there and play West Coast. But um, yeah, because we were playing Frio, it um, didn't quite seem as tough. Like uh, incredible. Uh, that sort of flag would have been edited by the media manager at Richmond. Um, out of existence <laughs> these days. That just could not happen. I think that's just a true reflection of Fremantle at the time. It's like, well, you're not West Coast. Yeah, you're not a real football club in many ways. I mean, cute <laughs> green uniform and the, the anchors. You're just the... Co- you're just the consolation prize for getting premiership points at WA, you know? that That's all you are. <laughs> um, and then the following week, um, we actually go down to St Kilda at our home ground, Optus Oval, uh, on a wet and stinking day. There's, this was a match not covered on TV, and I think the only uh, snippet you get on the video is a highlight of Robert Harvey kicking a goal. So there clearly wasn't much vision when they're just showing Robert Harvey kick goals. But um, look, the, I, I want to read you another passage of Jack Dyer because he's done a review um, of this game, of our loss to St Kilda, uh, to 45 points, uh, by 45 points. And uh, it's it's very simple, but it's it's very Captain Blood. So this is so this is from the book The Tiger Files, Volume One, the story of the Richmond Football Club. A fantastic read. It's 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 up there with Conrad's books. The Dyer Review. There's just one thing to do when you get belted like that: go out, have a few beers, cry a little, and then forget it. Well, I don't think you should really ever forget it because you might slip up again. The message is not to let a bad loss get you down. These things happen. Everything goes wrong. Next week, everything will go right because you'll be feeling angry, frustrated and fired up. You will lead the ball and set the trends of play because the good sides come back from defeat. I've got nothing else to say. And what else is there to say? It's spot on. We come back one week later and we uh, we flog Hawthorne. Um, and Hawthorne were very good then. We should remember this. Yes, we, we came off a long era of being absolutely suffocated by Hawthorne. And I think in that Hawthorne match a week later, it was kind of, um, well, vindication, a bit of revenge from Scott Turner back in the side who kept Jason Dunstall goalless. Um, but you may remember a few years prior to that match, Jason Dunstall kicked 17 on him. Yeah, and I have a, I have three brothers. Um, one of them is an Essendon supporter. And one of them is a Hawthorne supporter. Mm. And... I do remember giving that Hawthorne supporter, younger brother, a bit of shit over us winning that game and keeping Dunstall goalless. And he just, he always had 
the comeback. He had every possible comeback, really, whether it was Dunstall's 17 goals or, you know, Tuck's... How many grand finals did Michael Tuck play in? Like, 11? Something obscene. Yeah. Yeah, all of their flags, all of their glory um, in an era when Richmond had none. So it was just... It was sort of best not to even start fights with them within my family. Well, uh, if we if we win another flag before they do, Conrad, we're ahead of them in the total premiership, so I figure I might just want to point that out to you. Oh, that'll be happening. We'll be pointing that out. <laughs> hey, the following week, oh, this, this gets me riled up, um, and this is only based from watching the highlights video, but uh, we play North at the MCG, and uh, to, to use a classic phrase, we was robbed. Yeah, I'd forgotten about this one until I saw the, the – I know the exact clip that you're talking about. It was Brett Allison um, with that dive, that absolute dive, which led to a, a goal, of course. Um, they also saw some of the most puzzling umpiring decisions of the season, some that plainly let North back into the game. Given just a whiff of victory, Carey lifted his ruse and Richmond fell short by 10 points. I was there that night and I, I remember how much it incensed me at the time. Uh, and it must have left a lasting sort of um, imprint, that trauma, uh, because I was able to, to kind of block it out and, and only now retrieve it thanks to this fine film that we're reviewing. Um, yeah, we lost by 10 points. King got in, got involved. I do remember that John Longmire was much better that night. Or maybe Longmire hadn't played earlier in the season, but, but Longmire definitely kicked some important goals against us. Uh, and, yeah, it was part of that, just that up-and-down nature of the, the end of this season when we were banged up from injury and, and getting by without Richo and Freezer and Wigney. Yeah, the North Melbourne game, I mean, it's worth pointing out we did get 38 points up, Um but we allowed Wayne Carey to storm home. But we were still robbed um, from that Brett Allison dive. I'll just read you a couple of passages from Jack Dyer's review, actually. I'm not going to read the whole thing because the introduction is all you need. Um, This is from the uh, Tiger Files book uh, to accompany the 95 season. The Dyer review, we was robbed, was spelt W-U-Z, really robbed. When the umpires change the course of history, I've got to dig my toes in and cry, enough! (laughs) You will note I have spared the umpires my criticism this season. Umpires make mistakes, and they've been making them for years. They have blundered and cost teams many a win. They have cost flags. Some miscarriages of football justice have been rare until now. Captain Blood was furious. That sounds with good reason. Um, I I will admit the the memory of that night is hazy, but as I said, it it only took a a split second of footage leading up, and I remembered exactly what Allison was going to do. That dive forward was, um, yeah, one of the great pieces of acting. But you could sort of, you could get away with that in that era and not be pilloried online later on. Like there were there were masters of it in the game. I remember the goal sneak from Essendon. Rowan Buick was just phenomenal at posing. Darren Buick. Sorry, Darren Buick, yeah. Uh, Craig Bradley was pretty good as well. I mean, he could rack up the ball without needing that, but he was great at flopping. Um, and it was just sort of was part of the theatre of the game and appreciated that some players could, um, could I don't want to say earn free kicks, but they could get them. They knew how to get them. 
And um, it's a little bit sad in some ways that we've uh, turned such a, a corner and now, are, you know, really fine players like Callum Ward or Dylan Grimes uh, will just get mercifully attacked um, and subject to sort of really vile threats over these little middling things that happen in um, in the heat of battle. Which is ridiculous, and we won't go deep into it, but, you know, um, you are right. Players back then could do those sorts of acts that are sort of part of the theatre of the game and not have to worry about um, getting death threats straight after the match. The following week, we play the Bears at the Gabba, um, a, a, a venue that's held very fondly in the hearts of Richmond Football Club supporters these days, the Gabba. But uh, this is when the Brisbane Bears are on an amazing run to actually make the 1995 finals. I think a lot of people forget that the Brisbane Bears had some phenomenal run uh, towards the end of that season to actually finish eighth. Um, but they give the Tigers a, a belting that day at the Gabba. We won't go into that game, but you mentioned earlier on um, there was a report with Matthew Richardson um, because, of course, Richo's injured. So the AFL and Richmond are giving him something to do during the offseason, and he's sent off to Chicago to teach these Americans about footy. How you going, kids? All right? Bad knee or not, just one day off the plane from Australia and Matthew Richardson is hard at training. Get your arms, make sure they're really extended out. That's good work. He's teaching these Chicago school kids about Australian rules. Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? I reckon my favourite bit of it was focusing on the the little kid who was trying to um, trying to bounce the football, like trying to sort of not dribble it, but just try to get it come back to him and the action was just all wrong and you're like yeah that kid did not grow up watching um watching footy but it was it was a bit bizarre um to just see the the solitary richo as this figure giving a clinic to this school in chicago in american football they spend as much time on the bench as on the ground yeah i mean i'm pretty surprised a few of them have got a fair idea of how to how to market football good on you girl few of them are a little bit rusty, but you can only just uh, pass on a few hints to them and hopefully they'll get better. Matthew says the biggest difference between the kids here and the ones back home, the Americans don't tell him what he did wrong last Saturday. I think they must have used Richo a fair bit during his, you know, recovery time that year because, as you can tell, I've been on a bit of a down-the-YouTube rabbit hole um, and there's a couple of clips of Richo doing game shows um, throughout that year. I'm pretty sure it's 1995, but there's a clip of Richo on Wheel of Fortune uh, as part of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. We have a young fella, Matthew Richardson. Oh. $110, Matthew. I have an L. An L for Leslie, no L's. B for Bob. A B, there are no B's. It's w for William. Yep, there is one W. Uh, Matthew, this phrase is. <laughs> Don't know. And then he's also having a crack on Sale of the Century. They have like an AFL edition of Sale of the Century. Please welcome from the Richmond Football Club, heartthrob and pin-up boy, Matthew Richardson. Great selection of players, but Matty Richardson, I've got to ask, how's the knee? Yeah, it's going very well, thanks, Glenn. Uh, saw the surgeon the other day and he's wrapped with it, so I'm pretty happy. Man of all seasons calendar? Yeah, that was a pretty interesting experience, that's for sure. That's quite a nice answer to that, really. <laughs> <laughs> he gets smashed by Billy Brownless, who just storms home. Well, I did notice earlier on in the film that, and it might have been just after he went down with the knee, they mentioned that he was going to be meeting with Ricky Nixon. 
And so perhaps he had signed up at that point and maybe it was pre-Ricky having these um, sort of grand ideas about, what was it? It was called Club 10, like the 10. Yeah, Club yeah, 10. Yeah. The 10 great players, um, and which they would expand to 12 to make into a calendar and stuff like that. But maybe Ricky was thinking small at that point in time. And so young Richo, his new client, um, got to go on game shows. Who knows? But it was a bit of a bizarre sight because, as I say, he um, he's very good in front of the camera now, but um, is a bit, bit more shy then, let's say. Um, following week, it's Collingwood, round 21. Vital clash for both sides. It's uh, I think we get the jump on them. There's, there's plenty of Stewie Maxfield highlights. Uh, uh, Wayne Campbell plays a blinder, and I think he's Brownlow favourite at the time, and Bruce uses the phrase champagne footy, which I absolutely love. Kelly and the Duke, Bond. Roderick's been fantastic. Wonderful handball. Go and kick a goal, Campbell. Look at that. That's champagne footy. And we destroy Collingwood's prospects of making the finals. Things are just looking good for Richmond. I heard that, the the champagne footy, and I wondered whether that was the first time he'd used it or, or if it had been, you know, like was that the debut or had he been sort of spouting that for a, for a while the way that he does with a lot of his favourites? Um, at any rate, it seemed, seemed yeah. perfect um, for the moment. Because, because, because back then Bruce was all about... That's special and champagne footy, whereas these days, what, it's more clever and delicious, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you get the – and the rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah, the rhetorical question posed or or just a direct question posed to the special comments guy. Like he he defers his expertise now, whereas he he owned the moment back then, didn't he? Then I think there's a bit more Wayne Campbell at the nightclub in the back alley, wearing the uh, back alley of the nightclub in his cardigan, talking about the game against the Pies. I think he's a bit more diplomatic – by then, perhaps the producer at the time picked up on his, you know, absolute patronising sass of Fremantle and said, maybe in the next clip, just be a bit more polite to Collingwood, to your opponents. Well, maybe he's also, at that point, begun to hear all of the um, the reporting around his potential to win the Brownlow. And he's sort of, he's started to rein it back in a little bit because he's probably been pumped... Um, Pump for interviews a bunch throughout the tail end of that season. And and I'll admit, I reckon while it was great to see Campbell get so many touches every week, uh, I still always thought that Knights and Broderick were the more impactful players, um, just just in general. Like I, I thought with fewer touches, they could do far more damage um, than what Wayne Campbell used to do. It's not a slight on the man. It was great to, to watch him... Um, yeah, a mass kicks and handballs and, and just generally be involved in the play. But I love the sort of the the devastating um, handball out of traffic that someone like Broderick would give. Um, he was also a brilliant little short passer to just wonderful chip kicks. And then that, um, that, that sleight of hand kind of ability to move through space wraith-like that, um, that Matty Knight's had. The following week, it's the final round, round 22. We play the Crows at Footy Park, a dominant first quarter. Um, we get the job done, and, and there is, there's a few highlights from uh, your your man, Justin Charles, in that game. Another Speaking of Wayne Campbell, he stars. Uh, the video points out he's at 5-2 to two to win the Brownlow medal uh, back in the days of uh, fractional odds. And um, 
we go back to there's another clip of Tony Jewell uh, reflecting on the game, and he's basically pointed out that Andrew Jarman knocked out Duncan Callaway, Callaway and was lucky not to get caught. There's no doubt there was a contact there that wasn't uh, particularly uh, above board, but I mean it didn't come up on video, and I think they did investigate it and couldn't couldn't put pin the wrap on someone, but. Uh, um, you just got to wear those things. That was bizarre, wasn't it? Um, like just a, a function of having so few cameras on the day because it was it was in play, it was in active play, and yet they didn't have sufficient an angle to sort of to convict, I guess. Even though you saw poor Duncan get up with just blood streaming out of his face, like he'd really been smashed. Um, it was just another great sort of odd relic of a, of a bygone era. Australian Football Video brings you the chance to grab your own personal collection of the grandest grand final matches of the past 25 years. It's the WEG Classic Grand Final Series. Ten spectacular flag-winning contests, absolutely free of commercials, all wrapped up with the WEG poster on the cover. I'd like to see that, Harry. See that moment when your team blazed to glory. Collect every game in this first release. At only $29.95, it's a snap. time this is exciting richmond are in their first final series in years it's a friday night at the mcg it's the first qualifying final we're playing north melbourne and the banner we talk about great richmond banners throughout this show um the banner is very bold it's very richmond and it's we're back and it's got this big huge letters and it's like yep the tigers are back (laughs) oh how glorious that's um i don't remember it um but i'm glad you do Gee, i don't remember a lot about that game i tend to put the losses behind me and um not dwell on them but yeah it wasn't um wasn't a good night was it um i think it was wayne carey again just at his best and putting his foot down and winning another game for north melbourne as was the norm at the time yeah and not I mean, he didn't do it in the way that others did. It wasn't like he would come out one day and kick 10 goals. He just had this way of sort of turning a game in a space of seven or eight minutes, you know, kicking two or three goals that would just rest the momentum back and lift his team and then they would surge and run as a group. Like, he's a, quite a unique player in his um, in his ability or the way that he used to influence and turn games, Wayne Carey. And then on reflection, uh, Wayne Campbell uh, mentions on the first loss to North Melbourne, we had the double chance and said that we altered the game routine. We didn't stick to our normal plan. And, you know, playing at night, they're a bit up and about during the day. And all the nerves of finals football would your stock standard excuses. But the next week, a game that is held still as fondly, I reckon is still held as fondly as the past 
glorious three out of four years to Richmond supporters, particularly of our age, calibre and generation. The 1995 semi-final against Essendon. Conrad, I want you to just tell your reflections on the 95 semi-final against the Bombers uh, from what you saw in a Tiger Tale and your personal recollection of it. Yeah, so I was there um, with eight mates who were all Essendon supporters. I was sitting in the middle of them, so I had four Bombers on either side of me. It was a glorious day in the sunshine and you can sort of see that in the um, in the footage on a tiger tail and it didn't start well you know Essendon were surging um, I think Sean Denham was kind of cutting us up uh, you know that little nuggety sort of rover that they had with the the kind of the boxes broken nose uh, but of course Matty Knights Matty Knights my favorite player that goal from the center. <sighs> All three, all three. They were all goal of the year contenders. The centre again, and here come Richmond trying to get a Denham's hand pass was thwarted. Matty Knights picked it up on centre wing and exploded away and bounced it twice. Ran the left half forward. Three, four bounces, five bounces. runs there was the one where O'Connor actually pulled a hammy trying to chase him down you know the the big lumbering um, bomber that he was Uh, but just keeping us in touch and I love watching the camera footage of that on on a tiger tail because he's um many I mean they all had the uh the black collar on those Guernseys but for some reason with him the collar would always sort of ride up his neck and so he had like this kind of Dracula kind of-esque thing flapping around in the in the breeze and he had that blonde hair that it contrasted with. I just, I love that moment, the the three goals that kept us somewhere, you know, kept us within touch. I think we were five goals down at halftime. Um, and and then, of course, well, sorry, was it four goals down? Anyway. Five goals. We were five goals five down. Five goals down. And then, um, and then at halftime, I was really, really hungry and I'd planned for this. And so I sprinted out of the ground and bolted towards Bridge Road to grab a kebab and then ran back and sort of paused to walk and eat as I was approaching the stadium. So that's just a little stupid nugget from my um, second semi-final day. Uh, and then they went out and ran rampant out Tigers. I remember Bauer just sort of lighting it up, running through the centre of the ground. He was so like he was such an ungainly looking player, not not a particularly sort of fashionable looking footballer, but he just had wheels. Like he could just go. Uh and then there was all the the wonderful brutality of um well, I mean, Stewie Maxfield had already knocked Simons down to the ground in one of Matty Knight's goals, but then I think he also lined up and knocked over Grenbold. And then there was Scotty Turner right in front of me on centre wing, lining up Gary O'Donnell in an incident that would, what a oh moment. my God, it would see him out for like eight weeks now. It really would. Like he's just launched past him, knocked the head, no tackling, you know, completely unprotected player. Um, but one of those moments that sort of shook the game. And, and and shook it to, towards the Richmond end. 
Um, and I don't know, I've watched that game countless times uh, and it never gets old or boring. Uh, I love watching guys like Matty Rogers uh, who were just so important to Tigers of that era. Um, so I'm, I'm lost for words because it's, re- it's a really important one, that match. What do you remember of it as a six-year-old that, or seven-year-old or what did you take out of the Tiger no, retelling? I, 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 I do. Okay, so obviously my memories are better served by watching replays of it, but I did go to it. I do remember going to it. Um, it was one of the few games I actually went with my mother. My mum didn't take me to the footy that often, but she did take me to the 95 semi-final. Um, I remember the MCG being unbelievably loud that day, and I'd probably say it was as loud as it was at that GWS premium yep. um, from the Richmond end. Um, uh, and, yeah, I can sort of just remember a tide of momentum coming in the second half and being worried at half time. But I don't have uh, as vivid memories because I think I remember the seats we had weren't that great. So I didn't really, couldn't really see much. Um, but I do remember it being very wild and loud. Um, but I have watched the replay a number of times. And then, you know, there's those highlights of like Chris Nash putting the Tigers back in the game. I think it's a goal from Chris Nash that puts Richmond in the lead for the first yep. time. Um, and then there's one, uh, there's one where Nick Daffy kicks a goal and the place just goes bananas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's also constant sh- Channel 7 also throw constantly to the same fan in the grandstand <laughs> what, I, want to, I want to track down there's the bloke in the fluoro billabong singlet and a Richmond scarf and very 90s peroxide bleached hair um, who they keep constantly throwing to and he's going nuts sir if you're listening please give us a shout out uh, pl- please get in touch with us. We would love to know who you are because you are featured throughout the 1995 semi-final more than any other fan. <laughs> uh, what a what a wonderful what a wonderful thing for him if he uh, has ever watched it back. It'd be it'd just be a tragedy if he hasn't. Surely he has. Surely he has. And then, of course, um, John Northey waved his jacket. He did the sheety. I never he, uh, he waved about, his jacket. I remember seeing him doing it and thinking, that's just weird. Like, the sh- the sheety shaking of the jacket thing was like a, a thing between Essendon and West Coast. I remember thinking, like, what are you what are you doing? Um, but apparently it was something that the, the players had put him up to, so he inserted himself into into that but it was um it was it was a great little nostalgic moment (laughs) and that match really was oxygen for every richmond supporter for up until september 2017 there was that and i I don't think there was that carlton final in 2001 but i think more people look fondly on that essendon one that that was everyone like every richmond supporter got that on name again it it just sort of sustained us i think yeah um it was, I don't know, it, it was what it was and we needed it and, yeah, it was absolutely um, more valuable or important than the than the win over Carlton, which was, I think, just after 9-11. In fact, there was a minute's silence before that. Yeah, it was. It was um, I think it was 9-11, uh, Ansett collapsed and then Richmond won a final in the same right. week. Right, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> 
<laughs> pretty full on time. But the 95 one, I think, was just looked back way fondly. And I think it was just also, it was just a better game. Like, I mean, any any finals wins a good win, but that, that one in particular was just amazing. Yeah. Um, so the Tigers are into a prelim and we're facing our old foes, Geelong, at Waverley, of all places. Yeah. Um, but there's also... Just in the lead up to it, there's also a really lovely montage of the news reports um, going into it. Yeah. You know, that there's that little press conference of the week with, you know, Richmond going, um, you know, saying, oh, you know, don't underestimate us. You know, Matthew Knights is just look out, cats, even though the, the cats have just absolutely tortured us for the good part of a decade. And co-captain Matthew Knights has a simple message for Geelong, underestimate us and look out. We're not here just to fill up the numbers. We want to take it the whole way if we can. And uh, we'll start that by trying to do the job on Geelong this week. But there's a great clip from John Northey, our coach at the time, about how he felt um, about Richmond winning. <laughs> and Super was still on cloud nine following that miraculous win on Saturday. Oh, look, you feel, you know, uh, you're on drugs or something. You could just walk on water or, you know, you just float across the ground. I, I was, anyhow, and I, I felt very emotional about it myself. It's like you're on it's drugs. It's like you're on drugs. Yeah, like you're floating. Exactly. I love it. Just would not get away with that today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, there's there's all the stuff about the towns around Melbourne getting, you know, all the suburbs around Melbourne getting behind their team. There's shots of North Melbourne and Carlton and Geelong, but there's just a little sample of what lays ahead in September 2017 of the shots of the streets of Richmond with like Bridge Road and Swan Street just decked out in yellow and black. And it seems that people are on a little panic buying frenzy at the uh, Tigers punt road shot. But it's Richmond, which seems most excited with the Tigers riding on a tide of enthusiasm Proving a merchandising bonanza. My hat. Got three posters. And a Richmond theme song. On Bridge Road, hopes are the decorations will grow after Saturday. Yeah, I love that one of the one of the three items of merch they decided to show was a cassette tape of the theme song. <laughs> Makes sense. You could play it in the car after you get home from it from a game. No, and you think about it, you think about the many ways you can ingest that uh, that theme song now like from the the bottle from the stubby openers to um, whatever like the idea that you would get a cassette tape version of it to play is just um is wild probably probably uh probably charted that week uh the uh, fable cassette of the richmond theme song i reckon probably probably made the aria charts <laughs> um and then there's that lovely of our friend who's you know we featured throughout the book there's another news report um that's featured in this little montage leading up to the prelim final against Geelong um, with this little thing of uh, Bob Davis and Jack Dyer um, sort of handballing to each other at the MCG in the lead up to the game. Captain Blood Jack Dyer, Richmond Premiership coach and Geelong's last Premiership coach, Bob Davis, got together on the eve of their team's clash. And all we wish is, well, as far as I'm, because I'm a sportsman, yeah. that the best team wins. I don't know. I hope Richmond... I'm not a sportsman. I gave that up 20 years ago. That sportsman did this. Yeah, they were always going to line that that chat up, weren't they? Um, and it, it is very cute yeah, to watch those two just a, um, continue enjoying that repartee. Yeah, I think it's something like, you know, Jack Dyer, Bob Davis is trying to be all civil going, you know, I'm I'm a sportsman and may the mess team win. And Jack Dyer, you know, bless his cotton socks, is like, no, I'm not. <laughs> There is the preliminary final, and we won't dwell on it too much because it, it was a bit of a. It was at Waverley. It was wet. It was bleak, and that was the reflection of what the day was like for Richmond. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure I went to that by myself. Uh, and I was in a forward pocket. Um, and shit, it was just, it was really clear really quickly that we weren't going to be on. I think we were like four goals down at quarter time. And then we were nine, 10 goals down at half time, something like that. Uh, I vividly remember Liam Pickering picking up the ball at will. I think he had like 40 or 44 touches, something obscene like that. And couch was going the same way. I, I honestly remember very little else of the game except halfway through the last quarter um people standing near me began singing the Richmond theme song um in the rain. It's a zigzag at the moment. This is Hickmont still on half back. Geelong fans delirious. Brewer towards centre wing. They knew that this was the last time they'd see them that year, but loved what they'd been able to put on the park. And honestly like this lady she she was really close to me and she started singing by herself and then other people started up around her. And then before you knew it, that whole pocket and that whole wing and like, um, I think they noticed it on television. Cause I remember my big brother and Essendon supporter, like um, graciously admitting to me later on that he thought it was one of the, the sort of the loveliest things he'd seen in footy was, um, was the Richmond fans singing sort of goodbye to their team. Um, as their, their season in 1995 came to a close. And I guess if you're going to get pumped by 89 points in a preliminary final, um, you might as well have a really nice moment like that somewhere interspliced in it. And then other than that, I've never watched that game again and never will. So the Tigers' 1995 season ends to a loss to Geelong, but it was a great season. It was a wonderful year. The Tigers are back in town. The team's looking good. The club's looking stable. Everything's looking on track for a glorious 1996 season. What happens after that, Conrad? Oh, is it within 24 hours or within 48 hours? It's really soon after that match that suddenly these reports emerge that John Northy is walking out on the club, that he's taking up an offer to go to Brisbane and then Leon Daphne is fronting a press conference and um, he's the president of Richmond at the time, Leon Daphne. Yeah, just making Swooper out to be this um, mercenary sort of villain and At a hastily arranged press conference late this afternoon, Richmond president Leon Daphne went on the attack. John Northy broke his contract. He has walked out on the Richmond Football Club and he can say that he had tears in his eyes today and he can say that the players had tears in their eyes, but he has walked out on I don't know what, what transpires later. Sounds like you know, he was going into the next year with one... 96 was the last year on his contract and he rightly felt that he deserved an extension and a pay rise that um, <clears throat> wasn't, um, wasn't, uh, wasn't too much given how he had performed and um, and Richmond allowed him to move on and then Mel Brown seemed to be a part of it as well. And uh, it was just so Richmondy. y um, <laughs> If you want a sort of to capture the Richmond culture at the time in a nutshell, 
the John Northey departure after the 1995 season is a true reflection of that because you, of course, in your recent books, talk about the new culture at Richmond, um, but this is very much old Richmond at its peak. Yeah, it's it's awful. It's bully boy power brokers um, in the back room kind of just sticking their nose in where it seemingly isn't needed or, or wanted. Uh, and, and just to do so when we were having such success just seems, I mean, I, I vaguely understand the kind of the motivation or desire to sort of get involved when things are going badly. And, you know, most people think they know better. Sure, insert yourself into that moment. But that was a stunning season. Um, why, why would you upset that? Um, and then I'd also note that like we didn't, we obviously didn't come through and pay enough to keep John Northey, nor did we pay enough to keep Stuart Maxfield. It sounds like all he was, um, you know, offered to be lured north to Sydney because we lost him in the exact same off season was, I think a hundred thousand dollars a year and and more permanent sort of midfield time at Sydney. And he left, and of course, uh, I don't know how well-known it is, but he, he seems to be one of the key architects of the entire sort of Bloods culture that was built at Sydney. Um, and, you know, just Buffer, uh, an amazing sort of Richmond player in general. So to lose those two was sort of wrenching and awful and seemed to set us back a ways and, um, yeah, doesn't bear thinking about really, does it? And you can look in the reports that they include at the end of the video um, of the raw emotion felt because, of course, there's... Uh, I think Jim Wilson confronts John Norby in the car park at Punt Road as he's leaving. And, you know, we, we've, we've clearly established that Swooper is a, is a very honest individual. Um, uh, and he says words along the lines of, I feel shithouse. Earlier today... Emotional Northy left Punt Road fighting back tears. Yeah, bloody hard actually. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling, mate? I mean, what's what's your reaction? Can you... And then Mel Brown, who must have been a consultant. I think he was the marketing manager at the time. Um, you know, ring, rings into Neil Mitchell's program and slags off John Northy's wife. And then John Northy's wife just... Returns fire at Mel Brown. And it's... Outspoken Richmond identity, Mel Brown launching a scathing attack. I don't rate the Pam on the behaviour in other areas very highly anyway. What do you mean by that? Oh, I just don't think she conducts herself uh, necessarily in the best interest of uh, Richmond Football Club. Nobody will stand up and check Brown. He's been a bully all his goddamn life. You can ask anybody in Perth. It's just a horrible ending to what was just a wonderful year, but it's just... <sighs> That's so Richmond at the time. And doesn't it just make you thank your lucky stars for for Peggy and the Chief and and everyone else that we mm. now have? Well, the, the, the Chief features in the report because there's, there's shots of him walking to a players' meeting and the players just look all confused and bemused and disappointed. Yeah, I remember that too. Uh, um, Matthew Knight's wearing acid wash. That was very disappointing. Hey, Conrad, it's been... So much fun talking about a tiger tale, Richmond in 1995, the Tigers, and just everything about that year with you. Um, you've, of course, got your series of tiger books. I'm sure everyone listening already knows about them, but you've got your uh, you got your new one out. 
as part of the trilogy. Are you hoping for a fourth? <laughs> I'd be lying if I if I said I wasn't. Um, I'd, I'd absolutely love a fourth. But um, yes, you can pick up the hard way in any good bookstore right now. Um, there's also many copies of Stronger and Bolder floating around, which I, I highly recommend as a as a sort of bird's eye look into a, a final series. Uh, and I'd also point out because every now and again people email me or message me about copies of Yellow and Black saying that they can't find them. Um, there was a reprint done of Yellow and Black, and if you go to the Slattery Media website, um, you can order a copy online there. You probably won't find it in bookshops, but you can order it online there. But um, uh, aside from all of that, thank you very much, Dylan. I've, I've had a, a lot of fun um, taking this trip down memory lane to back when I was in my, my final year of high school, enjoying what I thought would be the beginning of a, a wonderful ride with the Tigers. Um, it took a couple of decades before the before I got back on that wonderful ride, but um, it's been brilliant and, and just always fun to talk about tiger lore and, um, and legend. about a tiger tail richmond in 1995 now i'm going to be biased but of all the film titles we've spoken about here at the australian football video film festival i reckon that's my favorite boy did i watch that a lot and geez that was so much fun talking about the 1995 tigers uh if you love the tigers there's no doubt that you enjoyed that and if you're not a Richmond supporter and you're listening to this, I hope you got as much enjoyment reflecting on that one little year in a very bleak period of Richmond uh, that, that showed the potential of the club and, geez, a lot of love, a lot of characters and uh, it's a great title, A Tiger Tale, uh, Richmond in 1995 and, as always, it will be in the podcast description if you actually want to watch the film title. What's What's brilliant about it is that this show went on longer than the video itself because there was just so much to talk about and enjoy. So uh, we trust you enjoyed uh, that little chat with Conrad. And of course, mentioned by Conrad himself, there is his books available. Uh, his most recent one, uh, The Hard Way, uh, the story of Richmond's 2020 season. There's Stronger and Bolder. He's on the spot account of our nine, 2000 of Richmond's 2019 final series I should say Richmond's I've got to sound somewhat professional as a presenter and of course uh, 2017 where he follows the team for the entire year yellow and black a season with Richmond he's got the magic touch he knows when to uh, be around I think he also tried to write one about the 2016 season but uh, we may never ever see the offcuts of that but yes do read his books if you haven't it is some of the best football writing going around and a special mention of course to uh, Brian Hansen and uh, Jack Dyer's book The Tiger Files with a little cameo from that book as well. This is the Australian Football Video Film Festival. It's been a while. Now I know in our previous episode we said that coming up next was Electrifying 80s. That is on the agenda. We're back after probably a six month hiatus but or you could just be listening to us for the first time and the shows are just flowing on but we have a number of titles coming up in the next few weeks uh, recapping some of the Great footy videos from uh, Australian football video from over the years. A whole range of different reviewers, different clubs, and a whole lot of love. And yes, the electrifying 80s episode 
is coming. I can promise you in this series, we will be talking about the electrifying 80s, the sensational 70s, and the 90s, the decade that delivered the holy trinity of football videos. Yes, they will be featured. That is a promise. You have been listening to the Australian Football Video Film Festival. My name is Dylan Leach. Uh, do like us on the socials at AFE Film Festival on both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you are listening via any of your favourite podcast platforms, please hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Give us a good review. I don't really care for the bad ones, but give us a nice review. Give us a shout-out. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Uh it's all us here. It's all me and uh, Nick, who uh, Nick Bleaker, who gives us use of his studio facilities, and we thank him for that. Uh, this is absolutely a labour of love, and it's a lot of fun to make. So uh, appreciate all your support, and please spread the word as uh, we reflect on a golden era of football cinema. This has been the Australian Football Video Film Festival, with thanks to our partners, LeagueTees.com.au. My name is Dylan Leach, and we'll catch you soon.